Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday, November 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. A show so jam-packed, we may have leftovers tonight. We are high atop downtown College Station, Texas. It's bustling outside. We've been in town to do some other things. We call up our buddies at Texags. We need a studio. Billy, I need a studio. And he said, well, I got one. Come on over. And so here we are. We appreciate them. We appreciate you being tuned in. We've got so many places to go, so many things to talk about tonight. I know it's Thanksgiving. I know a lot of you are going to be on the road. Not the Lake Kick staff. Uh, we're grinding all the way through the week. Uh, several games to break down. It's rivalry week. We've got all sorts of playoff implications. Those of you who are familiar with the show know I won't spend two milliseconds talking about the playoff itself tonight. The rankings were just released. You can find that coverage elsewhere. Here, we're regular season first and foremost. We're going to break down all the rivalry games. I'm going to give you the upset alert meter since we won't be here Thursday. Uh, maybe... You know, just maybe everyone is right about the playoff. I don't want it expanded. You do want it expanded. Maybe we're all right because we're going to dive into the mailbag tonight. And there is a suggestion that I want to at least dive into the particulars of. We've got massive pressure in Columbus, Ohio this Saturday. And I know that you think you get what I'm talking about there, where I'm going. I'm going to dive a little deeper. So we're going to do that from a couple of different angles. Muscle Shoals, Alabama tuned in. Lufkin, Texas is tuned in. Tempe, Arizona, Peoria, Illinois. Thank you guys so much. We just hit 150K on the YouTube channel the other day. And now it's up to you. Our balls are in your court. You got to decide what we're going to do for a prize. I'm going to give you a few days. It's no rush. I know you're busy, just like we all are around here. But let's think on that. Is there someone you want us to collab with? Is there a wardrobe change? Look, this is about as far as I go. And I only, I only forego the white tee when we're on the road. So... Think about that. In the meantime, the drive to 200K subs continues. I cannot waste any more time. we got to dive into the show. I mean, we got so many different places to go. Thank you for being here. Like the video and subscribe if you haven't already. Okay, here we go. Michigan at Ohio State. We will be there at the Horseshoe this Saturday. High noon kickoff. Big noon kickoff. I love the noon kickoff. I love rivalry week. I love it like I love oxygen. And this one is undefeated versus undefeated for the first time since 2006. I want you guys to appreciate this. All joking aside, I don't know when it's going to happen. Once we go to an expanded playoff, I don't know if you'll ever get this. Full disclosure, I think that you will tell your grandchildren. And I know some of you are like 10 right now, but trust me, you'll tell your grandkids one day, there was this time, way, way, way back in like 2022 and beforehand, when college football regular season games, even featuring undefeated teams, even in Power 5 conferences, it meant do or die, little Johnny. There was no safety net under these games. Oh, and by the way, then you had the added layer of history. Bo versus Woody. You don't even know who that is, little Johnny, so don't worry about that. But there were so many different layers to these things, and it was wounded animal back against the wall mode for everyone. That is what would be on display. You're playing for seeding. In your expanded playoff format. I'm not here to argue the playoff right now. I'm just saying, enjoy the urgency on this one Saturday. Ohio State has taken nine consecutive in this game when they play it in Columbus, Ohio. This thing changed college football last year. There I am, just, just a youth from West Central Georgia, standing on the field at the big house, freezing. My, I could not feel my nose. I just got feeling back in my fingers. It's snowing sideways. It's a miracle I made it back to the Detroit airport. Not everyone in this building was so lucky that night, I'm told. And so this game changed college football last year because you looked at C.J. Stroud and you looked at those racehorse-wide receivers and honestly, you looked at Ohio State kind of the same way you do this year and you thought, well, that's the preemptive favorite in the Big Ten. They're in the playoff. You had done it just like I had. You had penciled it into the playoff and then they don't go and Michigan does. And everything you thought about Jim Harbaugh got turned upside down. And everything people said about him got turned upside down. But here's what they said in Columbus, Ohio. This sucks. I never want to feel this way again. And so they go into what a casual would call the offseason. And the entire offseason, all they did was they talked about getting back to this game. And they talked about what it would take to not get put on skates, to not recruit like we do as Ohio State, but still get bullied. And the beauty of this game is they play it every year. And that ultimate test comes this Saturday. Let's dive in, shall we? How do you win this thing? Ohio State, what are we at right now? Seven, seven and a half, or eight? That's the favorite on the Buckeyes, depending on where you look and which shop you like. They prep all year for this. Look, I cannot stress enough 
how there's there's some skill, I will admit to you, in looking at what these teams have done so far this year. But there is also a sense that anything could happen in these games, and that's not just hyperbole. You've got prep that goes on all year for this game. You've got special packages. You've got separate game plans. You've got things that you drop on a pizza napkin that you say, saving that one for Michigan, saving that one for Ohio State. And what I'm telling you there is when you think back to last year and you think about some of those big plays that Michigan was making and you thought about the dichotomy between what I'm seeing on that day versus what I saw throughout the season, it kind of grabs you by your shoulders, kind of jarred you a little bit. And that's what can happen in these games. It's no coincidence that you see things sometimes and you see performances sometimes, play calls, etc., that you don't see the rest of the year. So Michigan right now, you may think, hmm, offense, kind of limited. Don't know if they can get the job done. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. Ohio State, is that level of physicality really there? For that matter, either one of these teams is the level of health at the running back position where I need it to be. Look, I am looking at Michigan, and the question I would love to see answered in the definitive for them is, does their passing game show up? i got to be honest with you. Like I've been sky high on them all year. I've been a little disappointed in the development or lack thereof in what I thought was going to be a great receiver room for them this year. But here's the thing, going into a game like this, the guys are still there. Ronnie Bell's still in there. The potential and the reasons I thought that room had potential, they're still there. It just takes one four-quarter game. It just takes two or three explosive plays in a four-quarter game for you to think about the rest of the year and say, who cares? We won the games without them doing it. But boy, when they did it on this Saturday, that's when we needed it the most. So I'm thinking about that. And then I'm also thinking about that line of scrimmage with Ohio State because I cannot imagine what their winter conditioning had been like. I can't imagine what their summer conditioning was like, but I can guarantee it all centered around the fact that it doesn't matter how many skill guys on the perimeter we have. It doesn't matter how good at quarterback we are. If you can't own the line of scrimmage, there's no reason why you can't. If you're second best on the line of scrimmage, you're not going to fulfill your potential, and we're not. As a coaching staff, as a program, we're not. So those are the two things I'm interested in. Now, as for offensive game plan with Ohio State, rhythm is the name of the game with them. It always has been. It always will be, as long as they run things the way they do. If their running backs early on are clipping it off at like four yards per carry or better, obviously it's how you want to start. But also, you have sort of this immovable force versus, I'm not going to use pro wrestling metaphors today. Um, I think, though, that when you look at what teams are statistically, they're just a product of who they've played sometimes, and sometimes they just really are that real deal. And I'm looking at these two teams, and there are so many offensive numbers for Ohio State that scream really, really good. And then there are so many defensive numbers for Michigan that scream really, really good. But Stroud getting multiple receivers involved early on, that'll be something I look at. Michigan's defense, I think, gives up uh, 2.79 yards per carry. So if you're clipping it off at double that rate early on, that is a sign that a lot of what people think about Michigan may be true. Because a lot of people look at Michigan and say, oh, they're vulnerable. Oh, defensively, they're very vulnerable. They just haven't faced an offense yet. Uh, And that's because Colorado State, UConn, Iowa, Nebraska, Hawaii, Indiana, and Rutgers – do not exactly inspire confidence that you have been battle-tested on that side of the ball. So if you're of the opinion they lost that pass rush last year, it won't cost them until Ohio State. Nothing you've seen this year has changed your mind, right? Ohio State, if you look at them and you say, yeah, they got some video game numbers, they have not faced a defense as legitimate as dot, 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 Michigan. Nothing's changed your mind, right? That's the beauty. You get this far into the season, and you still don't really know until you know this Saturday. Don't have to play it out hypothetically anymore. Here's what I cannot shake. The teams on the list I just read, I cannot shake that from the conscience that I try and draw a conclusion on this game from. And it may just be that I'm wrong on Michigan. And it may just be that they are absolutely what their statistical profile and data set says they are. But if I think about how I felt leaving that stadium last year, I remember so vividly thinking to myself, Ohio State's got a lot of these cats coming back. And I think that it is much harder for me to envision C.J. Stroud having never played as a starting quarterback for a Big Ten championship than it is for me to just picture Ohio State winning the game next year. Uh, I, I, at the same time, have liked Michigan all year. I've been so conflicted on this thing today. For all the talk about what Ohio State hasn't seen, you know, what about that Michigan vulnerability? Because I've heard such an inordinate amount 
of what Ohio State hasn't seen, the level of physicality they haven't seen. Look, I think they can take it to Michigan too. I don't think that's a one-way street there. So let's take a look at what the model thinks, and let's juxtapose that to what the line is. As I said, Ohio State has been favored by between 7 and 9 all week. It's still where they are right now. And I look at what the model thinks on this one, and I'm kind of a little bit detached from what the model thinks. The model has Ohio State minus 11, and I certainly do not go that fat with this spread. I don't go fatter than a possession with this spread. But man, the more I dove into it, the more I look at the offensive limitation for Michigan, the more I think they got to be full speed 100% at running back. And frankly, I don't know that they are. No one can know until game time Saturday. But if you can't promise me that, and you're giving me home field with Ohio State, and you're giving me all kinds of extra revenge motivation, I also just I think they're the better team at the moment. I'm going to take Ohio State to win. I am not taking them to cover. I will take Michigan to cover uh, with anything above seven. But I just want to reiterate, and I'll talk about it later in the show. Man, if Michigan gets this done, it wouldn't shock me at all if they get it done. You have Michigan going to the playoff. That is its own story. I can't begin to tell you, although I will later in the show, how catastrophic that would be for Ohio State football. The fan base knows it. Uh, That would be one of the biggest stories you talk about from now until they kick the thing off next year. So I'll dive into that a little bit later on. But I'm going to take Ohio State to win. I'll take Michigan to cover. Hey, uh, could we go to my uh, one shot here right quick? There's a very interesting graphic over my shoulder. That one right, uh, right there. Yeah. Academy. Look, we have kind of a family. And if you roll with Academy, then you're friends of ours. And our buddies here at TechSags, they roll with Academy just like we do. And so that's why it kind of felt homely. You guys noticed that? It felt homely when we walked in here tonight. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as I tell you often, is your one-stop shop for life. Because if you live the kind of lifestyle I and a lot of us do, look, a lot of these fancy trinkets that these other folks have out on the streets every day, we don't need. And so everything that we need can be found at Academy. Look, they got protein powder there. They got hoodies there. You know, they got baseball equipment there. They got grills there. They got shoes there. They got tents there. Uh, you know, outside of water, guys, and I'm sure they got a fountain in the back, what more do you really need? Because you can order out. so They can bring food to you. I can live in one of these places and never have to go anywhere. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And Academy Sports and Outdoors makes our show possible. It makes it free to you. And it also makes me able to walk the streets of whichever town I'm in on every given Saturday and just hand those gift cards out like confetti. It's a powerful feeling when you have that kind of power in your pocket, immunity. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can't get there in person, I strongly urge you guys, as we enter the Christmas buying season, academy.com. Like, you got an address, right? And you got the internet. If you can't make it in person, you got all the tools at your disposal to make sure that you're happy, loved ones are happy, we're happy, everyone's happy. Just happy, happy, happy. And Academy Sports and Outdoors makes that possible. So we so appreciate them being able to let us do things like we're doing now, for instance. All right, let's roll back into predictions. we got a long way to go here. Notre Dame at USC. That is the Saturday 7.30 game on ABC. Finally, by the way, I wrote in all caps, finally, this game's back. Little JP, once upon a time, sat in his bedroom in Fortson, Georgia, and he watched as Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and USC went, here's a blast from the past, to South Bend, Indiana on natural grass, first off, highly grown that afternoon and faced off against the Charlie Weiss led Notre Dame fighting Irish. And they almost did it. Now, look, I grew up in the South. I was taught that USC was evil. Notre Dame wasn't quite as evil. So I was, I was quite literally taught that I was pulling for the lesser of two evils. But uh, I remember that classic game because I remember the implications on it. And then Notre Dame and USC kind of, and so too did the value of the game. And finally, We got it back. This is a top 15 matchup. This may very well be the feather in the cap of USC's playoff resume if they were to win. And for Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, you realize this team lost to Marshall, right? You realize this team lost to Stanford. Who, whomst amongst us, thought we'd be talking about them as a nine-win team? But yet if they win this game, and they're about a five-some-odd point underdog right now, if they win this game, they could be just that. USC's peaking, man. I just saw him in person last week at the Rose Bowl. They lost Travis Dye, and all they did with Austin Jones was run for like 130 
on UCLA and Caleb Williams. I mean, they get down in a 14-0 hole. They got two red zone trips, zero total points, and Caleb Williams basically just looked around and said, you guys good? Okay, I'm going to go to work now. And that he did. And there was no stopping him, and there was no stopping USC. They have scored 40 in 9 of 11 games this year. That, I believe, is a school record. And they have had some offensive teams out there. But this is Lincoln Riley year one. He's not even a, he's, he's about a calendar year in right now, actually. It was this week last year. Am I worried about a letdown? As I break this game down, that was a lot of the questioning that I got. Are you worried about a letdown? No. I think there's a critical point where when some of these teams who are in the playoff hunt get over it, I don't worry so much about the letdown. I just think they got enough gas. Some teams got 10 weeks of gas, 11 weeks of gas. Once you've gotten to this point, there's like a critical breakthrough point where you're just going to play at a pretty high level every week. Doesn't mean you can't get beat, but I don't think USC gets beat 38-17. to I don't think this game has any prayer of looking like the Clemson game did when Clemson played Notre Dame, just for instance. So I'm not looking at that at all. I think USC's got some downhill momentum. Now, their best shot here, and by they, I mean Notre Dame. I'm going to switch gears for a second. Everyone knows about the firepower, okay? Everyone just watched Caleb Williams torch UCLA. Did you also see them give up 45? Like, I'm just making sure we're giving adequate credit to Southern Cal, but let's understand uh, this is far from a perfect team. There's no flawless team out there this year, which begs the question. I don't think I'm going to see Drew Pine do what Dorian Thompson Robinson did. I don't think. I don't think the profile of this Tommy Reese-led Notre Dame offense is one that they just bomb their way up and down the field. But they can win. You know, they, they beat Clemson soundly. They can win. What's their best shot? Ironically, a game we just talked about a second ago from a year ago is the case study. Because they need to be 2021 Michigan against 2021 Ohio State. Those are these two teams. Notre Dame should be the biggest challenge, both offensive line and defensive line, that USC will have faced all year. They have the potential to play at that level. It's the same thing Michigan put on Ohio State last year. You go into that game wondering, how can Michigan stop all this firepower? They can push them against the wall. That's what they can do. That's how they can stop the firepower. And they can make them totally uncomfortable at the line of scrimmage, the likes of which really hardly anyone else has been able to do. That's Notre Dame's blueprint. If you watch that game and it starts off track meet style, Notre Dame's not keeping up. But if it starts off and you say, uh-oh, USC looks a little bit wobbly, what's going on? What's going on is they are losing at the point of attack. That's what's happening. And Notre Dame absolutely can do that. Now, Caleb Williams and that offense could get stuffed for three quarters, and if you're not hanging a big enough number on them, they can still turn it on you because they can turn that quick. But that O-line, D-line situation is something to watch. This is what makes me really uncomfortable when we're picking these kinds of games because if I'm looking at that situation and I have a team favored and I see Vegas has them favored, but I don't like the way they match up on the offensive and defensive lines, I ask, well, why in the world do I have them favored? And yet time and time again, I don't budge off of it. So location here, I'd love it a lot more for Notre Dame if it were in South Bend. I will admit that. Number two, Cam Hart could probably be the most important player in this game because he may be out. That is one of these starting corners, uh, senior starting corner for Notre Dame. Check his status because it bleeds into what my prediction on this game is. The Vegas number here, like I said, USC minus about five, depending on which shop you're looking at. Our model is a little bit shorter on it. Notre Dame, USC, we got USC minus three and a half. I actually disagree with the model here, though. I think downhill momentum means something with Lincoln Riley and USC. I'm actually going to take USC to win. I'm going to take them to cover. So I'm going to disagree with the model. And that has been popular with me and the model in Texas. But in this case, I'm going to chalk it up as a good season, eight-win season, depending on – well, can, the, when you consider how Notre Dame started the year, for them to get to eight wins and challenge USC here is a minor miracle. So I'll chalk it up as a good year for him. I'm going to take USC to win. I'm going to take USC to cover. And that will thrust them, obviously, with playoff on the line into the Pac-12 championship game. All right, now let's go all the way across the country and take a sip. I don't have a chalice of supremacy with me. What I do have is this nondescript plastic bottle. Plastics make it possible, after all. And so we'll sip the orange liquid. We will... Um, irresponsibly just drop the bottle on the floor but i got the top on it don't worry 
What about Florida and Florida State? What, what would you think to yourself if I said, you know who's playing top 10 ball right now? Then I pause for effect. Florida State. Like Florida State's playing top 10 ball right now. Uh, they are. It's not a lie. They're not in the top 10 because we can't pretend like the early portion of the season didn't happen. But man, Mike Norvell is right there in ACC Coach of the Year contention. And if he's not, you're, it's just foolish. You're not watching. Okay, so he's there. Florida State, as a result, is favored by nine and a half, which is not a point spread anyone saw coming about a month ago. Florida Vandy shocked almost everyone. Not us, because we called it, but everyone else got shocked by it. I checked the calendar. I knew it was Dorvember. Anyway, I say all that to say, how much of what happened with Florida last week am I supposed to expect to carry over here? It was an upset. Uh, they played poorly. They outgained Vandy significantly, but because of various things that happened in a football game, they dropped the game. Okay, so does that carry over here? The Florida players swear no this week. FSU has lost three straight when they're ranked and Florida's not ranked, which makes no sense, but that's an actual stat that Stats and Info brought me today. What decides this game? Wasn't that the million-dollar question? Isn't that what we're here to talk about? Certainly, yards per carry is always a hint in a football game. But doubly especially, when you listen to these kind of numbers, like Florida, second in FBS in yards per carry right now, well, it would stand to reason that could be a padlock stat, right? Bookmark that. Hold that thought. Also, Trey Benson, Sean Ward, they are one and two in the ACC right now in yards per carry themselves. Both teams running the ball pretty well when they decide to. I don't think those are the padlock stats. I think those are faux padlock stats, and you know how rarely I use that word. I'm going to give you the real padlock stat here, and it's going to be defensively third down Florida right now. 48.3% conversion rate. They are giving up a 48.3% conversion rate. You know where that ranks them nationally? 126th in FBS out of 131. So then you wonder to yourself, ooh, that doesn't sound good. Is Florida State decent on third down? Yeah, uh, they're 6th in FBS offensively in third down conversion rate. That's where the game's won. And that's why as we go into what the model thinks on here, the model leans so much heavier towards Florida State than, than Vegas even does. Vegas has Florida State minus 9.5. The model is over two touchdowns with Florida State. We got FSU minus 14.5. Here's one question that I have. One question is, does FSU have that might-not-matter energy? And by that, I mean Anthony Richardson is the most dynamic player in this game. If Anthony Richardson goes off, you think to yourself, if you're a Florida fan, well, if he goes off, we win the game, right? They're playing a pretty good team this Saturday. And they're playing the kind of team, potentially, where Richardson can go off and they still lose. And I don't think Florida fans are used to thinking that. That's called might-not-matter energy. I think Florida State's got that right now. And so I'm going to take them to win. I'm going to take them to cover. And how about this? A little Ramen Noodle Express action. Florida State minus 9.5 is a Ramen Noodle Express best bet. Tack it on. I'm not going to give you many picks tonight because we're going to do Friday Night Lines from Columbus, but I'm tacking it on. FSU wins, FSU covers. think it's going to be a double-digit win for the Knowles. And I'm sure the comment section will let me know if, if something otherwise happens. Let's move on. Rivalry week is so beautiful. There's the uh, Ramanul Express there. We'll get to that a lot later. I, I should not have even mentioned it because then that suggested that I wanted it thrown up, and I, I really didn't, so I'm sorry about that. That's on me. I'll take that one. Strike one here. Okay, let's continue. Uh, this one, I, I'll be honest, I didn't think we were going to be breaking this one down last week, uh, but we are now. South Carolina at Clemson. What's the line on this thing? Oh, about 14 and a half. Tigers favored by about 14 and a half. It's a noon kickoff, so you guys don't have to wait too awful long Saturday morning, 11 a.m. If you live in God's time zone, it's an ABC game. Let's be very clear. Now, I want to be crystal clear on this. Everything's on the table. Like I had a bunch of Gamecock fans sheepishly coming at me in the DMs. Hey, Josh, don't tell anyone I asked this. Can South Carolina win? Yeah, they can win. Did you watch the Tennessee game? Yeah, they can win. Did you watch Clemson and Notre Dame? Yeah, they can win. Now, how do they win? Do I expect them to win? Am I betting them to win? South Carolina has not won at Clemson since 2012. 
a guy by the name of Steve Spurrier was still the head coach there. The Aggies of A&M were just coming into the SEC. So, yeah, it's been a while. But South Carolina, I would argue, has rarely been in a better position to pull this thing off since then. South Carolina's offense just utterly exploded. There is, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no explanation for it. They just exploded against Tennessee last week. Now, what we have to try and figure out, and it's an unenviable position to be in, what we have to try and figure out is, was that a one-time deal? Did Tennessee just just drop the ball that fantastically defensively? Or did South Carolina figure something out? Because certainly, like if you go back and you look at breakdowns and you watch South Carolina, they did things differently. It wasn't even October either. We're well into November. So stands to reason we pretty much knew what they were, and then they broke that out on us last week. And I'm not going to play the sound right now. I'm going to reference something we're going to play later in the show. Dabo got asked about it earlier this week, and he had some interesting things to say, so we'll get to that later. But I think a lot of folks look at it and say, wow, that was an explosion. Okay, but they'll come back to earth this week, right? Look, here's the difference. Tennessee's defensive line versus Clemson's defensive line is night and day. So I'm I'm not saying that they get stoned this week or anything like that. I'm just saying it is a different chore to try and move your way up and down the field against Clemson's defensive front. I understand the Notre Dame game happened. You've got to grant me every other game's happened then, okay? If I'm going to acknowledge the one exception, you've got to acknowledge the rule. That's why yards after catch for South Carolina is going to be ultra important. Because there is not a world, at least in my mind, this Saturday, where we watch Spencer Rattler with a bunch of time to work in the pocket. He is not a mobile guy. Uh, that's what hurts Clemson more often than not. He is not a mobile guy. So you're going to have to buy him time in the pocket if you want a bunch of those long-developing uh, pass routes to open up. I don't think that's in the cards. Yards after catch, short stuff, underneath stuff, perimeter stuff, that's what you got to do. And then you got to make your hay afterwards. That's how they got to rack that up if they're going to rack that up. The best bet here is getting enough wins one on one from your corners. If you think about what South Carolina has to do, this is how we do a lot of these breakdowns on games where there's a big spread. How could the upset happen? You know, their best bet is being able to single up on the outside and just looking at DJ Uyangalale and saying, if you beat us, Hoss, you beat us. But you're not doing it with your legs. You're not going to just run around. You're not going to fall forward and convert third downs. You're going to throw the ball to beat us. And if you do, you're a heck of an athlete. We'll tip our cap to you. And that's your best shot here. Can you trust your guys in one-on-ones? Now, over the last few years, you'd say absolutely no. This Clemson receiver room is not what it's been in the last several years. So it's it's a tall task. It's not insurmountable, though. Uh, if DJ's arm beats you, though, eh, that's okay. Okay, you're, you're a, you're a two-touchdown dog for a reason. But make that be the way you get beat. It's an early kick. It's at Clemson. Look, I, I know everyone understands what at means on the bottom of the screen. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal to go from playing at night in Williams-Brice to playing on the road early kick here. Controlling that state is huge as a selling point for Dabo Swinney. Trust me on that. And so as we look at what the model thinks here, and we look at what Vegas says, Vegas, Clemson minus 14 and a half. Model thinks Clemson is going to roll Saturday. Uh, the Look, I kind of calibrated a little bit to bring the number down to a more reasonable figure that is suitable for air. It's still got Clemson minus 17 and a half. So it's still a solid three points apart from what the Vegas number is. I'm going to trust it, you know, and look, Shane Beamer certainly it proved me so wrong last week. We didn't even break the Tennessee game down. That's how thoroughly that we thought Tennessee was going to go in there and win. So they could do it again, but they're going to have to do it again because I'm going to roll with Clemson. I think it is a great big feather in the cap of what some people are calling a down year for them to win this game. They're still in the playoff conversation, guys. There's nothing lost at Clemson right now. Like they still got a bunch to play for. So I'm going to take them to win and I will take Clemson to cover. And let's just see how that game starts out. Let's see through that feeling out process early on. I'm glad that game's happening when it is. Okay. Several more games here. I'm not going to do the individual breakdowns on all of them, but what we would normally do on Thursday, I'm going to do right now. Upset alert time. We got to break this down and I'm going to start right here actually in college station, LSU at Texas A&M. LSU's perfect in road games this year, at least true road games. They lost to Florida State in New Orleans, and uh, we are not classifying that as a true road game. A&M, I feel like has been building to this thing for a little while. This game, 
because they've known they're out of contention for a while. Now they're not even in bowl contention, but they've built to this one. And here's what's interesting. I was talking to Billy Lucci about this earlier today. There's this perception that this freshman class for A&M has been a disaster. It hasn't. The season has. The freshman class hasn't. In fact, every bit of juice that's being squeezed out of this team right now is largely because of that true freshman class. So how sweet would it be for that freshman class? Still got a ton to play for because they have multiple years in front of them to play for. How sweet would it be for them if they could build to this kind of Super Bowl? This is their bowl game. Like This is A&M's bowl game. And end up tripping up LSU who has not exactly been flawless and blowing teams out on the road, LSU allowing red zone touchdowns, 39% of the opponent's trips. Did you know that? LSU defensively, giving up a touchdown, 39% of the time you go into the red zone against them. That's number two in FBS. That's why I have a hard time seeing A&M win the game. I'm going to put a six on this for the upset alert meter, but man, you could sell me on Connor Wigman in this offense working their way down the field, getting in the red zone. You got to get in the end zone. They don't give you points for getting inside the 20. You got to get in the end zone. And LSU has been fantastic at preventing better offenses from doing that. I got a hard time. I could see threes Saturday. I don't know if I'm going to see enough sevens from A&M. Still, though, still tough place to play. I'm going to put a six on it. I can't take anything for granted with LSU. They're too new to the party. The money still smells too fresh. I cannot take it for granted. I'm putting a six on it. How about Oregon at Oregon State? This one's a seven on the upset alert meter for me. Two head coaches in the history of Oregon football have won 10-plus games their first year. One of them was Chip Kelly. The other was Mark Helfrich. And that's about as good as it got for Helfrich there. Dan Landing could be the third. They are sitting at nine wins right now. They've got a Pac-12 championship trip on the line. And here's what's on the line here, by the way. Oregon either needs to win this game or have Washington lose to go to the Pac-12 championship game. Damian Martinez, his name, if you're a hardcore college football fan, you probably know. He's a running back for Oregon State. 100-plus yards his last five games. Oregon State is, to me, the quietest, most anonymous, pretty good team in America. Plenty good enough, especially given the string of games that Oregon's in the middle of right now. They had the UCLA game a little while ago, but think about the stretch of games that they've gone through recently. And they had the loss against Washington. I thought the gut check of the year for them was last week when they beat Utah. They're not totally healthy yet. Just because they won last week doesn't make them healthy. Now they got to go on the road. And this is true Super Bowl mode for Oregon State. Meanwhile, there's a bunch left down the road to play for for Oregon. I think it's a dangerous spot. It's another example of the kind of game and the kind of landmine weekend that the Pac-12 has been offering up all year. And then you add on the rivalry aspect. I think it's a seven. I probably should put it at an eight. And since there's no rule against it, there you go. I'm going to put it at an eight for Oregon. Be very careful, gentlemen. Very careful. What about Auburn Bama? I cannot believe we live in a world where we're not even doing an individual game breakdown for the Iron Bowl because it's only a three on the upset alert scale. Let's say the best were to happen. And let's say defensively, Auburn's just got Bama figured out. I mean, are you really scoring on them? You, you've got to score 24, I would think, minimum to beat Alabama. Minimum. Are you doing that? I'm not talking about kickoff returns, punt returns, special team, I, I, defensive scores. I can't predict that. You can't predict that. Are you scoring 24 offensive points? If you can predict that, come talk to me. We'll have a separate conversation. But Bama's final ride with Bryce Young probably is this Saturday. I don't think he's playing in the bowl game. I don't think Will Anderson's going to play in the bowl game. This is it. I don't think a lot of people have had that dawn on them yet. This is it for that, that group of kids. And so I don't think Auburn can score enough. I don't think there's a lot of sense in spending a ton of time on it. I'm going to put a three on it because, well, I guess anything can happen. And we have seen teams hold Bama, and we've seen it be one possession at the very end. So I'm not telling you that I think Bama's going to pull away early. I just think eventually they will. I mean, the line on that thing is over three touchdowns. Uh, that's been the case multiple times this year, and Bama still played close. I think you'll get a pretty good game from them. So I'm going to put a three on it. I think much more intrigue is on who the head coach is at Auburn by the time that the weekend wraps up. What about TCU? TCU, who do they play? Quiz out there. Who do they play? They play Iowa State. And no, we at Iowa State have not had a good year, but we would love nothing more than to spoil the old, the old Horn Frog party there in Fort Worth. This is a six for me. Because any team that can make games ugly has a shot. 
and Iowa State can make games ugly. Now, I could off, I could offer you the exact same question I just asked about Auburn. How are you going to score? Look, that's a bridge that you just cross when you come to it, if you're TCU, or if you're Iowa State, rather. But TCU limited Texas, okay? So we know easily they can limit Iowa State. So Iowa State's going to have to have some of that magic. Iowa State's going to have to have one of those games where, yeah, you outgained us by 230, but look, we're still tied in the fourth quarter. How does that happen? The ball's shaped weirdly. That's how that would happen. Non-offensive points, it's sort of a tweener game. That's what has to happen here for Iowa State. I don't think it will, but I'm going to put a six on this anyway because TCU, likewise, they're out in the deep end. You learn how long a football season is when you get in the playoff mix for the first time and you find out, hey, November is actually like 17 weeks. Like, Think about how long November is for TCU. Oregon probably feels the same way. So you've been out there for a while now and you're taking everyone's best shot. You can't look past anyone. Matt Campbell's still a heck of a coach. Don't forget that just because they've been down this year. So I'm putting a six on that. Last game, I have no clue about. I, I think it's an eight at least. And that's Tennessee at Vandy. I think Vegas looked at this and said, okay, well, we're, we're not going to make Tennessee under a two-touchdown favorite. But honestly, what do we do here? And I'm asking you the same thing. What do we do here? It's, it's the toughest game to me to gauge because I don't know that Tennessee may not be completely and utterly gutted from last week. I mean, they go on the road. They get smashed. They got splattered by South Carolina and lost Hendon Hooker for the year. So all of your goals, national title by way of the playoff, it's all out the window not long after you lost the ability to play for the SEC championship. And that would be, that would be bad enough. You're playing Vandy, which is so hot right now, you have to put gloves on to touch the logo. Like Dorvember has been Dorvember for a reason. They've beaten Kentucky. They just beat Florida last week. I don't know what it means to have to go into Vanderbilt's building but you do. At least they don't have to go into Neyland. Uh, there, there may be internal issues at Tennessee if you read message boards, which obviously I don't, but I know a lot of you traffic in that. Uh, this is an eight. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised by Tennessee winning by 30. I wouldn't be surprised by Vandy pulling the outright upset. And wow, how terrible would that be as an ending to the season for Tennessee after all that hope and promise to have it end so cruelly? But that's football, man. That's the way the sport works. So I'm putting an eight on that, and that's a night game. So I'll be on the way home on a plane somewhere over, oh, probably over Tennessee watching that game. I, it's anyone's game, man. 14, I get the number. It's anyone's game. All right, let's dive into the mailbag. We got a little time here. Let's dive into the mailbag. There are, there are so many things happening right now. This week, you know, this rivalry week and how it overlaps with coaching search season and also it just so happens the transfer portal is going to open up big time on us there is a lot to be discussed so here's what i want to do first thing i want to do is i want to make an executive decision to ban someone in the live chat i don't know why you guys make me do it i don't want to be the heel but i'll be the heel let's dive into the mailbag we had a question about lane kiffin and one of you wanted to know if I happened to be on the old intro net last night, and did I see what Lane Kiffin did with this TV reporter, John Sokolov? Well, of course I did. What? I don't have a life. What else would I be doing other than perusing Twitter? So Dan asked, what do you make of Lane Kiffin versus local TV reporters two days before the Egg Bowl from Florence, Alabama? Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked. And for those of you unfamiliar, I know some of you are out there living your life. You may be on the road for Thanksgiving and whatnot. Let me show you what happened. So John Sokolov is a television anchor in the state of Mississippi. And he put the following tweet up last night. Breaking. Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin plans to step down as Rebels coach Friday and head to Auburn to become the Tigers' next head coach, according to sources. Sources say the Tigers have not offered the job to anyone else. So Lane to Auburn is happening. Story soon. Lane Kiffin does not go 10 minutes of his life without making sure he is checking that app. And so he saw this, and Lane Kiffin responded, that's news to me, John. Nice sources. And then he put, he put a flurry of emojis that would make your head spin. I take this to mean don't allow your enemies at the table. And then Lane Kiffin went a step further. <laughs> this is really where the brilliance 
flies into the equation. Lane Kiffin just basically takes John Sokolov's own words and then refashions them into a tweet of his own wherein Lane Kiffin reported that Sokolov is heading to a competitor station and the station hasn't offered their anchor job to anyone else. So John Sokolov to the other station is happening story soon. And that's really where this kind of went sideways and went into the ditch. And I stopped checking for updates after that. So I don't know what happened after that. Uh, Yeah. There is a line of thought out there with all these rumors and speculation about Lane Kiffin to Auburn. I heard a line of thought last night. Maybe you heard it too. It goes a little something like this. Well, Lane would not say that if he was going to Auburn. Let me tell you something about Lane Kiffin. Yeah, he would because he doesn't care. So there may be some other folks out there, you know, a a normal-minded person, a person who cares about what other folks think of him, would look at that and say, oh, this guy's got me now. He figured out I'm going to Auburn. I can't shoot it down because they'll just throw those words back in my face. No, no. This is is Nick Saban. I guess I got to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama head coach. Don't care what happens in the future. Because nothing that other folks say about you can really hurt you. If you don't let it, the whole sticks and stones thing, Lane Kiffin takes it to a whole nother extreme. He turns the volume up to 11 on that philosophy. This dude is probably going to be the next Auburn head coach. But that didn't stop him from having some fun last night, did it? Now look, there's a lot going on here. It is a widely held consensus at the moment that Lane Kiffin's going to be the next head coach at Auburn. I don't have reason to tell you that's false. I don't have reason to tell you that's decided. It may be. Just because I can't tell you doesn't mean anything. What I will tell you, though, is if Lane Kiffin to Auburn is decided, it has not stopped some other names from still inquiring about that job. It has not stopped Auburn from still being in conversation with other names about that job. Now, here is the rock and the hard place that I'm between. I can't give you the names. And that's not fun. Because that is a troll tactic. And I'm well aware that there are a number of our audience, actually those kinds of folks don't watch this show, but there are a number out there who take to trying to make themselves famous this time of year by just floating names. Well, I'm actually not floating the names. I'm doing even worse than the trolls. I'm telling you, hey, there are a couple of mystery candidates, pretty big named mystery candidates that have some serious interest in this job. I don't know if they'll be offered. I don't know that. I also can't give you their names right now. How bad does that suck? Yeah, so that's where we are right now. But I will tell you this, as I will reiterate, because I told you for the first time last week, there is a lot of talk in the coaching world about the Ole Miss job. See, because the Ole Miss job is being viewed as open. The Ole Miss job is being viewed as soon to be vacated. In other words, the John Sokoloff protocol is in effect. Hope I'm saying his name right. And so there's a lot of talk while everyone else is focused on Kiffin and Auburn. There's an assumption he's going to Auburn. And so a lot of other folks are trying to figure out, okay, who's going to take the Ole Miss job? Who's going to be in contention for that job? And I'm just saying, hopefully I'll have the freedom to talk about it more Sunday, but there is a lot of chatter about some names that you probably don't think would be on the move and some names that you think are pretty fixed in their current location. I'm talking about good names. I'm talking about coaches I like. And so selfishly, I'm kind of rooting for it, but I'm going to be responsible and keep my mouth shut right now. I'm just saying it's probably decided, but before, before we go, before we go off of this topic, let me remind you, as Meemaw used to say, Josh, there are only three reasons why rumors are allowed to persist this time of year. The first possibility is they're just true. The second possibility is they're being used as a convenient smokescreen so the real work can happen behind the scenes. The third reason is they're being used as leverage against someone's current employer. And that's what Meemaw told me. And it was just as true then as it is now. One of those three things is true, people. And we're going to figure it out sooner rather than later. Next question. Oh, it's been a while since we went down this road. A good old SEC versus Big Ten debate. Or is it? Uh, because I, I, I don't think this is very debatable. So... Let me show you the question first. I was, I was perusing through the mailbag, seeing which ones that we wanted to answer. And I got this one. So Jace hits us up from Gainesville, Georgia, home of the Red Elephants, by the way. Is it possible that you and the expansionists are both right in a way? Maybe the old model was better, the BCS model. But since the college football playoff diluted the best parts of our game, expansion could be the only way to save it moving forward. 
I sat there today and I thought about this and I thought about this and I thought about this. He's right. Like James is right. And I don't want to admit that. Because what it does is it puts us in a situation where we have to acknowledge there are certain parts of the sport that you and I grew up on maybe that we just can't get back. The, the romanticism, for example, of bowl season. You ever getting that back? Given the current state of affairs, are you ever getting that back? I don't know that you are. So what Jace is saying, to be clear, is folks like me hate college football playoff expansion because I don't care about the playoff nearly as much as I do the regular season, and I don't care how many teams or how many folks rather look you in the eye and say, it's just going to make the regular season better. They're lying to you. It won't. You'll have to learn that lesson the hard way. Anyway, Jace is saying, look, even though you feel that way, if we could hit a rewind button and go back in time and just fix the sport a different way, maybe you could maintain all that. But you've got to acknowledge, this is Jace talking to me through me right now, you've got to acknowledge the playoff did happen. We went to four teams. Meaningless bowl games became a phrase that's popular. Opting out became a practice that's popular. You can't do anything about that now. So what Jace is saying is, Maybe you're right that the old model was better, but since we can't go back to the old model, could it be true that the only way to solve this is to expand the playoff? And there goes the pen drop. Um, because I think that may kind of be true. Like in light of us being able to go backwards or in light of us adopting a bowl structure wherein there is a massive revenue sharing model that incentivizes players to participate in it and absent people just learning to trick themselves in an expanded playoff or, or a 14 playoff into thinking that the late season games that they've been taught don't matter all of a sudden matter again. Outside of that mind trickery, I think that, yeah, you, you could be right on that, Jace. It, it pains me to admit that, but you could be right on that. So everyone's right. That's not a popular take. That's not a take that gets a lot of clicks. But Jace, I think you're dead on the money accurate. So that's why I've told you, once the playoff expands, you're not going to hear me once a week, sit here and wag my finger and tell you, I told you so, even though we all know I would have told you so. I'm going to adopt it. The show will flourish because of it, and it'll be what it'll be. So I guess I need to have a moment of silent reflection even as we're here live because it, it depresses me to no end to admit that. All right, next up. I don't even know what question is next. Let's just, let's just wild card it. I'll read what they pop up on the screen here. I do know we had some good questions. Okay. Wise from Columbus, Ohio. Why is no why why think, think about this question, by the way. Colin, if you're watching later, this is where you can end cut it for the individual. Wise from Columbus, Ohio said, Why is it no question that the SEC can get two teams in the playoff? But when the Big Ten has two top five teams, it's one or the other. If it's truly the four best teams, division structure shouldn't really be a factor. <laughs> why is this not a road you want to go down with me, my friend? But let's do it. So I'm getting what I expected from Ohio State and Michigan. Remember, I was the one who predicted both of them to make the playoff and got laughed at in every corner of the SEC earlier this year in the summer. So I'm getting everything I thought I'd get from Michigan. I'm getting everything I thought I'd get. I thought they would play as undefeated teams. We're getting exactly this Saturday what I thought we'd get. The unfortunate part, and the part that's going to cost me my prediction, is the rest of the Big Ten didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Like, Wisconsin has just got to be better. Michigan State's got to be better. Maryland, Iowa, like, they've, Nebraska, they've got to be better. They've got to at least, at least be average, if not above average. And there's no excuse, if you look at the current Big Ten standings, for the West to be in the state of disrepair it is. But I do want to get back to this question that Wise asked. I love this question. Actually, it wasn't even a question. He just suggested it. And man, is he so right. He said, if it's true that we're looking for the four best teams, division structure shouldn't really be a factor. Oh, you're so right, my friend. I'll take it a step further. I would suggest to you, conference shouldn't even matter. And that's where you step on a lot of toes. Because some people probably nodded their head at what you said. But then when I say what I said, they realize, oh, I don't want to go that far down that road. Because there are a lot of places around this great country of ours that realize, especially moving forward, their only shot as a conference in getting in this playoff guaranteed is having auto bids, is having the prevailing notion that 
two or three teams from the same division shouldn't have access to a postseason. You should have to win your division. You should have to win your conference, which in pro sports I have no problem with. I've always thought it was laughable in college football because you're suggesting in a disproportionately tilted sport towards the few, you're suggesting to me it's impossible that two of the four best teams couldn't just so happen to reside in the same imaginary geographical boundary on a map, which is ludicrous, always has been. But in college sports especially, it's ludicrous. I would say conferences shouldn't even matter. But that's not the prevailing wisdom out there. And that's not the structure we're ever going to have here. So here's what I would tell you, Wise. The reason why it is acceptable in many minds for the SEC to get two teams in the playoff and for the Big Ten not to is you've got to go back several years. And you've got to understand the equity that's been built up in the minds of most people when it comes to the SEC. The Big Ten... Even though Michigan won the game in Ann Arbor against Ohio State last year and made the playoff, the Big Ten is viewed by many people when it comes to national championship contenders as Ohio State and, and then that's it. That's the end of the sentence. Whereas over the last decade or so, what have we seen? Over the last 15 years, we've seen LSU win multiple titles. We've seen Florida win a title. Bama's won several titles. Auburn's won a title. LSU, I just mentioned them. Georgia has won a title. People look at the SEC and think there are multiple players down there any given year. People look at the Big Ten and they say, it's Ohio State. And good for you, Michigan, for what you did last year. You weren't winning a title, though. It's just Ohio State. And so then they look up and down the rest of the list and they say, not only do we think that that's a one-trick pony up there when it comes to title contenders, We also don't have respect for the strength of schedule they play. And that gets me back to that list. It is not Ohio State's fault. It's not Michigan's fault. It's not Penn State's fault, really. Penn State's been a good team this year outside of playing the top two. But when Nebraska and Iowa and Maryland and Wisconsin and Michigan State, when they are not playing at a higher level than they are right now, that's what you're stuck with. You're stuck with having to go undefeated or else have a lot of other dominoes fall. And I don't even think that's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfortunate, I guess, but I don't think that's even unfair. But here's what else I would say. This particular year, there's only one way the SEC is getting two in, and that's for Georgia to fall in the SEC title game to LSU. So you may not like that, but if you were to blind resume things, you would have to acknowledge, yeah, that's that's a little more fair. I mean, Michigan's schedule is what it is. Ohio State's schedule is what it is. It's not their fault, guys. It's not their fault, but it is. Like, it's not LSU's fault. Uh, It's not Georgia's fault either. So I get the sentiment-wise. I just, I know it's unprofessional to say it is what it is, but it is what it is. That's where we are. Uh, They have the power to change that. And they're making moves in conference expansion to change that. So maybe it's not that way forever. Next up, where are we going? I know we got a couple more here. On a good pace. Thought this show may take two hours tonight. As it turns out, not so much, which is a good thing. Uh, Where are we going to go here? Which question do we have next? Okay, Karar asked, how important is the game for both Harbaugh and Ryan Day from Dearborn, Michigan? This is one that I just want to take a couple of minutes on because we did the preview for the game, but I didn't talk about this angle. There is pressure in every football game you play. There is added pressure in every rivalry game you play. And then you got the added layers of pressure if you got like conference title and play and playoff and all that. But at their very core, you would see Ohio State fans come unraveled if they were to lose this game Saturday. I'm going to say it again because I'll probably clip this later. At their very core, you would see Ohio State fans come unraveled, be unhinged Saturday if they lose this game. It's not dawning on anyone yet what the impact of that would be because you haven't seen it. Just like last week, you didn't think about what a loss by Tennessee at South Carolina would mean because you didn't think it could happen. Now, this is going to be a lot more competitive game, at least in most minds, pregame, than that one was thought to be. I just want you to think for a second. And it looked like I was staring at you. I was twiddling my thumbs. I want you to think for a second. As we get into the third quarter and it's tied, and then we go to the fourth quarter. You come back from commercial break, and there's 10.37 left, and Michigan's driving down one point, 20 to 19. And then they kick a field goal, and they're up by a couple of points on Ohio State. And you know it's no longer a four-quarter game. This comes down to a couple of possessions. And Ohio State turns the ball over, or they turn it over on downs, or they miss a field goal. And Michigan's got the ball with four minutes and change left. 
and they run the clock out and you never touch the ball again and you lose to them. Do you understand how catastrophic that would be for Ryan Day? Do you understand how catastrophic that would be? How big a failure that would be for Ohio State football to have had that collection of talent and two years in a row be in a position to achieve all your goals and have it wrecked by a Michigan team that at one point you were dominating and you got C.J. Stroud at quarterback and you're not even going to play for the Big Ten Championship with him again. You got a guy like Marvin Harrison having, in my mind's eye, a Bolitnikoff award-winning season right there with Jalen Hyatt, and you're not even going to play for the Big Ten Championship with him. Can you imagine those folks if they lose that game? So there's pressure. There's always pressure. But, man, there's a different kind of pressure on Ohio State in this game. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, I don't ever want to say someone's playing with house money. I don't ever want to say, oh, they got nothing to lose. They got a ton to lose. They got as much to lose as Ohio State, except that there's just a little extra that Ohio State has to lose. Because whether you want to admit it or not, they're supposed to win this game. Michigan's not supposed to win Saturday. Ohio State's supposed to win this game Saturday. And, brother, if they don't, it's going to be very, very uncomfortable in Columbus, Ohio. Because close enough, good enough is not enough for them. Nor should it be, and I don't have any problem with the expectation level being that high. Because when you play the kind of schedule they played this year, it, it turns into a one-game season. And if you want to call that unfair, you call it unfair all you want to. Folks who have grown up on this rivalry, they are perfectly at ease with the odds, with the stakes that are placed on this game, and it is maximum. In every sense of the word, it is maximum. And that's why this thing feels bigger than any playoff game that either one of them will play in. Because to me, folks like me think it is, and they feel like it is. It's going to be incredible. It will be so tense. If that is a one-possession game in the fourth quarter come Saturday, you could cut it with like one of those little flimsy McDonald's butter knives. It would be that thick. Okay, next question. I think we got one more here. Then I'm going to give you a couple of best bets, and we're going to roll on out of here. But this one's good. I saved this one for last. Sergio asked, did you hear Dabo Swinney trashing Tennessee? Why does he always do this to himself from Frankfort, Kentucky? Capital of Kentucky, by the way. That fools a lot of folks. You get in those state capital quizzes and you drop Kentucky on them, 99 out of 100 casuals are saying, Lexington? Eh, oh, Louisville. Eh. Well, there's not another city in Kentucky. Yeah, there is. And it's called Frankfort. So anyway, back on Dabo Swinney. Dabo, I'm just going to have them play you the audio. So here's what I'll do. We'll tee up the audio. I don't even know definitively what this was. Maybe it was his coach's show. At the very least, he is speaking publicly, okay? So Dabo Swinney is looking ahead to Clemson's game against South Carolina this week. And he was speaking within the context of what South Carolina just did. They just beat Tennessee into a coma. Here's Dabo Swinney and some of his comments on that game last week. Take a listen. And they're like, okay, we beat South Carolina, we beat Vandy. They're in the playoffs. You know, they're flipping burgers at the house, you know, uh, having a cold drink, you know, watching watching the championship weekend. What are we? Are we three or four? Where are we going? You know, are we in Arizona or are we in Atlanta? And next thing you know, getting that, you, you forget you got to go play. Uh-huh. And uh, But, man, I think you just, just got to give all the credit to South Carolina. I think they just flat out kicked their butt. Some people have a problem with this, and I really don't know why. First rule, you can talk all the trash you want to as long as you got to line up against the other guy, which he, well, I guess he doesn't play Tennessee. But my, my point there is, forget about rule number one. Rule number two is, just be real with me. Dabo's just being real with you. You know, there's this group of folks that, that cannot have it either way. I got a group of folks out here. Not only college football fans, but like in the actual college football media ecosystem who swear to you they can't stand coach speak. I hate these cookie-cutter, generic press conferences. I'm wasting my time. They might as well just give me a press release. They say that, and I agree with them. But then they listen to a guy like Dabo Swinney who has no filter whatsoever. He's become paranoid to the point where he won't even hardly do interviews. I love that he is my number one wish list candidate to have on this show. And we can't get him. He won't do interviews. But when he does talk, he's real with you. And what are you complaining about? So the question there was, why does he keep doing this to himself? What is he doing? Would you rather him put the muzzle on himself? Would you rather him filter himself? He said what everyone else is thinking. He said 
Tennessee went in there and got scalded because they almost showed up forgetting they had to play a football game. Then he gave South Carolina credit. Like, I I heard that last night, and I did not even add it to the rundown. Like, I told the staff, we're not going to talk about that. There's nothing to talk about. But then a lot of you asked about it. So there you go. Like, there's the clip. I don't really get what the big deal is. Now, they got a game against South Carolina Saturday. They'll win. They'll lose. It will have nothing to do with that soundbite. I'm sure it will be played at some point during the broadcast there on ABC. But I, I am a fan of the way Dabo Swinney carries himself. Now, as you well know, in politics and sports these days, if you say that, the standard is perfection. So if you say, hey, I like this guy, the other side, unless you're talking about a literal angel who has never committed a single sin, they will say, well, what about this, 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 and this? I ain't telling you Dabo Swinney's perfect. I'm not telling you any coach is perfect. I'm saying in, a, in an ocean of imperfect humans, including in the coaching industry, I happen to like the way he carries himself. And I always appreciate when coaches are real with you, especially when they know, oh, man, this is going to get me in trouble. This is going to cause a little stir. This is going to beat the hornet's nest with a stick. And they say it anyway. I appreciate it. I was handed some breaking news, by the way, while I was while we were in the SOT. Uh, Gigi came in, and she gave me the following. It says, some of your late kick, uh, they used a pejorative. We're going to mark that right out. Some of our late kick family is gathering outside the studio. So I don't know who's outside the studio right now, but hey, I'll be out there in a second, guys. It's a nice evening here. It's not raining, unlike yesterday. All right, Ramen Noodle Express time. Let's win some money because we've been doing it in bunches and bunches and bunches. If you just bet the last two weeks, you're kind of rich. I don't know what else to tell you. And we're going to keep it rolling here. Ohio's playing right now, and I'm thinking they may not have started their quarterback, so we're not canceling the bet, obviously. That would be very unethical. But Ohio minus seven, we're on. Coastal Carolina plus 14 and a hook, we are on. Rutgers plus 14, we're on. We added two games tonight. One of them you already know. The other one I'm about to tell you. FSU, minus nine and a half against Florida. We are on. And since they did not get to play last week, Akron has two weeks of fury and rage and anger bottled up. And they got snowed out in Buffalo. Soft. And so we're going to roll with them this week. Plus ten and a half. Akron. You know what? Dare I say against Northern Illinois? Sprinkle a little action on the money line. So Akron, FSU, Rutgers, Coastal Carolina, and Ohio. I want to also mention one other thing to you guys. So I'm all about value around here, like I'm trying to win you money there. I don't know if you're aware, it's free VIP day on 247sports.com. That means all the stuff you normally have to pay for, all the stuff that if you go to the website and you click on and it's behind a paywall, there is no paywall today. This is like Chris Jericho break the walls down for one day only. It's free. You can go read anything. The most intimate of recruiting nuggets, the most intimate of war rooms and Team Insider articles, you can go read all over free right now. Now, what I would suggest you do, because that website's been a great value for me way before I ever worked here, is I would suggest for you to go partake in it. If you're an FSU fan, go to Knowles 24-7. If you're a Georgia fan, go to Dogs 24-7. Check out your team site, because when you subscribe to the website, man, you get access to everything. I happen to think that we shouldn't run our business that way, but I'm not the one running it. I, I think you get a little bit too much bang for your buck there. But anyway, it is 75% off this week. So my suggestion to you, if you ever thought about joining 247sports.com, join any team website you want to, do it now. Because I think 75% is a lot of money. And it already doesn't cost a lot to subscribe to that website anyway. But when you get 75% off, now is the opportune time to do it. You don't even have to tell them I sent you. They didn't even set up a JP promo code. I'm just saying. 247sports.com. Uh, there's a lot being invested there from a lot of different angles right now. So it's a good time to jump on board. What a trip we have had. I mean, I have been in L.A., Nashville, Houston College Station. We'll be in Columbus, Atlanta, Columbus, Ohio, and Nashville all in the next 72 to 96 hours. But we did it. And it is a pleasure to do it because it beats having to sit in a nine-to-five cubicle for a living. And I appreciate so much our entire staff. Like, we got so many staffers on the road when we go and do these things that you never get to see. Big Game Dane is like 10 feet away on the other side of the wall. Our friends at Texags made sure that we could get into a nice, clean, dry, climate-controlled studio and our folks in Connecticut and Fort Lauderdale making it happen. So there is an army behind the scenes that makes it possible for just this one dude to sit here and bring the show to you. And believe me, 
we never dreamed this was possible when we were doing this independently in Columbus, Georgia. So for our crew back in Nashville, Fort Lauderdale, Stanford, here in College Station, appreciate you guys so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Remember to follow on the socials, at Late Kick Josh. I can guarantee you something big is going to happen between now and Saturday. We're not going to have a Thursday show. You will get me there. And then, of course, Friday Night Lines from Columbus, Ohio on Instagram Live Friday night. Until then, take care. Enjoy the fam. Enjoy the friends. Travel safely. Have a great holiday. Enjoy the games. And God bless you.